You're listening to Noise Extra. I'm Gray Holger, here with my co-host Tara Connolly. Hello. Mike Connolly. Hello. And a guest who's been mentioned many times on the show, the legend, Devin Brainerd. Hi. <laughs> hey, Devin. Thanks so much for joining us. Great. This is great. <laughs> uh, if you haven't heard Devin's name, then you probably don't listen to our podcast as I bring him up often because Devin ran the record collector in Livonia, which was where I bought many of my earliest noise releases and was exposed to so much great stuff, including seeing MSBR play in the shop, which was really special. I also ran the Time Stereo label and also Princess Dragon Mom, your noise band, as well as organizing many, <laughs> many events around Detroit. So we're going to get into that starting at the beginning, Devin. How did you get into this stuff? This we're talking early 90s for when Princess Dragon Mom became active, right? Yes. Um, I had always been interested in uh, interesting music and did junky recordings at my house, even when I was a little kid, like recording the sound of my stomach growling. Mm -hmm. um, then I, after I graduated high school in 87, I had been going to a record store that was in Detroit called the Record Collector. Around that time, they moved to Livonia, which is where I grew up and um, was going to the record store in like probably 87, 88. And then I think I started working there in 89 and was exposed to all kinds of music, you know, music all day, every day, talking to the other guys that worked there. and. Um, finding out about ESP records. And then I would get catalogs from people trying to sell records. And it was subterranean records that was really interesting to me. We started ordering from Eldon at subterranean and getting to know, it was a lot of US stuff and then a lot of J Japanese stuff. And that was how I was exposed to Triple R. And then that was a whole other thing. But subterranean was the beginning and it was that record that I got from Subterranean that we sold at the store, Brutiste. It's a triple R record. That was the record that really got me going. And then we would carry the records and, you know, a little thing started happening. People were interested in the stuff or became interested in it. And then, so I worked there all through the 90s. It gave me access to you know, tons of record labels and magazines and people. And then we had the shops so we could do shows and uh, it was pretty fun. Was Record Collector in Livonia always in the same location, the one that I frequented? Yeah. Okay. Right at the corner of Livonia. Yeah. And so the subterranean was the, the kickoff to discovering more and more of this type of stuff. It was. Through the record like, store. I had heard, I think the Hafler trio maybe Soviet France before that, or maybe around the same time. But Subterranean was the when I found the, the underground stuff, the gritty stuff and the self-released stuff. Um, and that was a really, that was a big eye opener. And how did starting Princess Dragon Mom come about? Or how did, how did Time Stereo, all of that stuff get kicked off? What was the impetus? <laughs> Well, we were exposed to all the stuff and other people doing it. And then we had all the equipment we needed to 
put out tapes. We had been recording. Warren was doing his project. His name is Alive. Um, and then we had the store. So we would jam at the store and we started playing music. It was, uh, or noise. And Kenny was, did you ever know Kenny Gray? From uh, Red Nine Sextet and Cauterizer? Is that no? Him or Kenny no? worked at the record collector. Oh, Kenny worked at record collector. I don't, I don't know. It was, it was pretty much always you when I went there. I feel like it was like, okay. late, you know, he must have been gone by that point, but he was one of the founding members of Princess Dragon Mom. So it was Warren, Kenny, and I. And he was rock and roll. He was from uh, that band Loud House that had a moment in the 90s. And um, he came from like hair metal. So he knew people at the rock clubs and the boredoms were coming to town with paintings and brutal truth. And we had been jamming. We didn't have a name, but he got us on the gig. So that was Princess Dragon Mom's first show in 93 with 92 or 93 with boredoms. It was at the marquee. That's, That's amazing. Did yeah. you did you guys have the name then when you did the show or we did. We we, you, okay, we had yeah. to come up with the name. So then it was Princess Dragon Mom. Um and so we got on that gig and it was great. And then from there we just kept doing more and more stuff and meeting more people and bringing people to town and putting on shows. Um so but that was all where it began. Record collector and the boredoms. Were there other shops in Michigan or in the Detroit metro area at that time selling this sort of stuff, ordering from subterranean too? Were there other people like coming to the shop and being surprised you had things that you met that were, had a, a greater were, knowledge of it? There were, um, there's probably three people that were older than us that had been into experimental. Like they probably were into prog rock, but then they, you know, I don't know. They might've heard Mersbo. Um, but then they were happy that there was a store like ours. So they would all come. So all types of music, even we had uh, the owner um, was really into African music. So we would carry all kinds of international and African music. So it was an eclectic store, which, you know, it was all used and new stuff that I would order. But for the most part, it was a used store. And then the noise and indie rock 45s and stuff we would get from subterranean and uh, i would buy directly from sst so we had all that stuff you did a little princess split with the hearing trumpet in 94 so those guys must have been coming around back then too yeah yeah greg greg was uh you know one of the people that would just go to every record store so he came to the record collector and Sunday was a big day for us because the owner was never there. So it was like everyone would show up on Sunday and it was great times. And we sold a lot of records and made a lot of friends. And yeah, Greg and Dave Warmbier, his partner at hearing trumpet, um, you know, we became close and then of course started working together. It was all because they were looking for records and came to the record collector. That's awesome. I've been talking to Dave a bit and I'm trying to have him on the show. So, or I have both of them on the show actually, because yeah, totally. they were also really big for me around the time that I started discovering this stuff. They were booking things at Zados and I lived yeah. like a block away. And so like cafe Matthews and that kind of stuff, I would get to see some of the things they were putting on, which was really, really important to me back then to get to see a, a different type of music or noise <laughs> live that, you know, I wasn't really exposed to. 
That's great. Yeah, there those are a couple important guys. So when, when did you start to notice a scene developing around this stuff? Because look, when I started going to to record collector, it seemed like there was there was a Michigan noise scene. There were enough people that were into it and doing their own labels and bands and stuff. How did how did you see that congeal? Um well, mid nineties, oh, we had friends in Ann Arbor. Um uh, and being in Livonia, the nice thing about it was it was halfway between Detroit. It was far from Detroit, but also close to Ann Arbor. It was kind of right in the middle. So we would go to Ann Arbor a lot. And um, and they had great record stores. And so, and there was more happening there. Right now, I don't think there's, there's nothing that I know of going on underground in Ann Arbor. But there sure was in the early 90s. And then like 97, things were really happening. And um, Bulb was doing lots of shows. Um, we would do stuff with Bulb quite often in Ypsilanti um, or Detroit. When you were earlier, when you started ordering from Subterranean, you said that's how you discovered Triple R and others. Were you... Were you writing to labels and and bands and, and addresses on the back of tapes? Were you starting to do a lot of correspondence that way and just meeting people and trading and stuff like that? Was that who who were some of the other early people that you were in contact with in that way? Um mostly Japanese people, uh Akafumi and um Koji mainly and that was all like we organized the tour right to japan with fax machines <laughs> no way and, so um, you were do you have do you, do you still have any of those faxes i do they're all you know how faxes are all turning white i've scanned mm -hmm. a lot of them but Amazing. the whole show was done on fax that was how we would communicate with japan Oh, and it wow. yeah, we've heard Great. there was a lot of faxing back and forth yeah, with Mersbau in the past, yeah, and there we, were a lot of fax correspondence. When we talked to Mason, he said definitely a lot of faxing oh, involved so for sure. Yeah, yeah I know um, Yamatsuka I did a book of all faxes between him and another artist. But yeah, like we've all got boxes of faxes that we've saved. They're fading. It's kind of cool. You know, they're like deteriorating, like a, you know, like they've gone through the Xerox too many times. But um it was that was how we talked especially internationally um and then yeah a lot of mail you know letters to people and then the people that put out tapes on gross we all became friends i think you mentioned colin um yeah. that was he was another guy that was in michigan and he found out about princess dragon mom from the gross tape he was in touch so then we got in touch and made friends he lived out here at the time that was very cool in general yeah ordering tapes and ordering zines from the people there was a lot of that and then some training had a lot of stuff so it was good times and the mailman was really friendly at the time <laughs> i mean when you look at 1993 on gross it was trance macronympha princess dragon mom taint and allegory chapel Right. So started to represent the Americans. Yeah. A bit there. And, and the Americans that were influenced by Japanese noise, 
because I mean, Princess Dragon Mom has always been like a Japanese style noise band. Like that was our inspiration. Um, and there's good stuff all over, but that was what we really picked up on. Was the Tokusatsu influence always in Princess Dragon Mom? Is that where the name stemmed from? Um, yeah, I mean, monsters and just the culture in general um, was always interesting. And it was a lot harder to get at in those days. Um, but it was natural that we were interested in the music um, because the movies always cool, still are. So when was the first time you went to Japan? Because I'm most familiar because of the MSBR website and seeing Princess Dragon Mom tour. And oh, okay. Everything out. <laughs> it was 2001. And it was, um, so it was Princess Dragon Mom. We did, a, we did a tour with Government Alpha and MSBR and Princess Dragon Mom. And then there was one big show in Tokyo, The Balls of Noise. And a few other bands played, and Ink Pestens were the DJs. Um, Painter played, um, but that was 2001. Sounds like a hell of and, a show. Yeah, it was. It was great. It was really cool because we did one. It was the way it was set up, and we went to Koji's hometown and stayed at his house with his mom. Oh wow! Yes. Yeah. So Matsuyama, like nobody goes to Matsuyama. It was his hometown. And so that was one of the stops. We played a small show there um, and got to know Koji's mom. It was cool. That's, That's awesome. so, so cool. That's I know we, was it Andy Bolas, who else we've talked to, who, mm -hmm. who met his mom, I believe. We've, we've definitely talked to one or two other people who got, that, got to experience mm -hmm. that, which is just it, it was so really incredible. Special. Yeah, it was real special. <laughs> so cool. Wow. And is that the same tour that you guys did holland or, or was that that was a few years before right we, then, we when, played in holland with destroy all monsters in 98 okay, okay right mm -hmm. right 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 okay then we did a tour in 99 and then so at that point kenny was gone so our um ronald corneliuson was from holland we met him at the destroy all monsters show he joined the band so one of our members is dutch lives in holland but we end up, he's either in Detroit, we go there, we meet in Japan. Um, so then we went, Ronald met us in Japan in 2001. That's awesome. Yeah, that, man, that sounds so incredible. Mm -hmm. But of course, before you go to Japan, you did assist bringing over MSBR and Government Alpha. Or did was that entirely... You or did you work with some other people um, oh, bringing think, them over? No, it was it was us. Um, I think they were in touch with John Olson at the time. So there was we did a noise workshop with Wolf Eyes, Nate and John. That was at the Record Collector with MSBR and Government Alpha and other like Andrew Coltrane might have been there. Um, but I, but we set up the Detroit show and then. Koji set up a show with uh, Neil's Spasm Band, and we took him, we drove him to uh, London, Ontario. And then he played there, but none of the other bands played, but MSPR played with Nihilus Spasm Band. Oh, that's so cool. cool. And then they, they did do other shows 
uh, when they were over here at that time, right? Like that's when they yes. played New York with Skin Crime. Did you have anything to do with setting those shows up or or no. was that uh, right? Okay. No, we didn't. Um, and then we went to Chicago with them, but we didn't play. But no, we just did the Detroit show. I remember the noise workshop that's captured on video too. Uh, uh, it is. Yeah, so, yeah. And same with the, the show at Alvin's the, the, yeah, at Alvin's that you were at Greg. I, I was at the noise workshop too. Of course you can, you can see awesome. me uh, in that video yep. somewhere. I'm sure yep. <laughs> that, yep. that was huge to me. And I remember being so excited to see these bands from, from Japan that you would just never, I never that thought I'd get to Alvin's. see Alvin's. That show at Alvin's was one of the coolest shows and it was the time. It was great timing. Everything. It was just, it was historic. Yeah, it was a really special show. And I I like the Princess Dragon Mom influence, of course, on Government Alpha 2, where he right. came out as Robo Alpha in the cardboard <laughs> robot costume. Yeah, we all worked on that stuff together in our garage. It was fun. I mean, he saw us. We were building the devil suit, and then he wanted to get involved. It was great. <laughs> That's so cool. How long were they in Michigan for when they came through for that tour? They, a few days. Somehow, um, I don't remember. I don't remember much about the timing, but I think they were here a few days. They stayed in Livonia with Warren. So cool. And how how early were you guys working with cardboard right away at that boredom show? Or is it something that evolved as you guys were? Yeah, okay. It evolved, but it was. So we did our first noise camp in 94. And that's when the cardboard got involved. I had always worked with cardboard, um, working with kids and working with myself, using it as a media. Um, so then it just made sense. Like we were talking about, you know, if you need a rhino to barrel through the audience, make it out of cardboard. And we make the bush out of cardboard. So and the hollow log. So, yeah, it, 94, it was going strong. And we never stopped. And Noise Camp is definitely one of the biggest things that you guys did. And it continued for a long time. Can you tell us about the impetus of Noise Camp? How it evolved? The idea? Just uh, just give us some of the background about Noise Camp. What it was for anyone who has, has not seen any footage of it or, or, or you know missed it at the time. Can you tell us about Noise Camp? So I used to be a counselor at a kid's camp and I was in charge of the third and fourth grade and I knew it was going to be kind of boring. And so I wanted to bring fun stuff. So I brought a reel to reel recorder and some microphones. I was going to do field recordings. The kids just would scream. If I tried to do anything, they just wanted to scream and be on the tape. So it got really noisy. And then I came (laughs) home, I had all these tapes four track and some effects and, you know, volume and distortion and tape editing. And so I I was like, I'm going to make noise camp, but I didn't have a name yet. I just made this tape. I was playing it. I played it for Colin, Colin Ray. And he goes, or no, okay, this is the story. I was going to camp before I made the recordings. And Colin goes, I go, I'm a counselor at kids camp. He goes, what is it? Noise camp. And then I remembered that name. And then when I made the tapes, I'm like, this is noise camp. So then that became noise camp. And it was a tape only. It came out on time stereo. Then the Dead Sea, 
that was probably 93. And then the Dead Sea was going to be coming to town and play at Alvin's. And Greg Bays was the promoter. This was 94. And he would come to the record collector too. And so um, he was, you know, one of the gang that would hang out there. And he was putting on shows more and more. This was like an early show for him. And um, he knew there was a noise camp tape, but there was no noise camp band. It was just a tape. And like, it wasn't attributed to anybody. It would probably be a little princess if you, you know, thought about it, but it wasn't, it was just noise camp. So Greg comes up to me, he goes, will noise camp open up for the Dead Sea? And uh, I said, well, let me think about it. So then I talked to Warren and Kenny and we put together noise camp to go along with the tape and it became a performance. And then every year it evolved and all different characters came out. Um, it was always harsh noise and violence and cardboard suits. And um, there was and so noise camp can either be a band, like we open for another band. It's noise camp. It's just one artist on the roster or on the, you know, the list of bands, or it can be noise camp, the event, which is a all night. We have other bands play noise camp or princess dragon mom play at the end to close out the show. Then there's usually a rock and roll band after it. So they don't close out the show rock and roll bliss. Anyways. Um, we didn't really do it last year. But we've done it every year. And so this year is the 30th annual. That's so wow. crazy. That's so, so we're going to do crazy. a big one this year. Yeah. That's we, so We did cool. it every year. Last year, uh, not so much. <laughs> this is going to be a big one this year. When's it happening? Some probably July or August. Yeah, usually I mm -hmm. feel like it was. In Detroit. And, it was and warm, so, yeah. And so that, that first one was just a... a performance at, at the Dead yeah. Sea show. When did it, what was the first one that it was an event? Um, I think the next year, like we, okay, so we did the Dead Sea show and that was Noise Camp, the band. I think it was the very next night. No, it wasn't the next night. Around there, there was also a 33 show. We somehow we did it at Zoots. Does anyone remember Zoots? Zoots was gone like right when I started going to shows, like late. Yeah, was, late we know stories of Zoots. Yeah. Yeah. So they had this little tiny front yard and <laughs> Noise Camp was gonna play at Zoots. So we thought we'll do it in the front yard. And that's when it started to become a whole night. Probably the next year, like ninety five or ninety six, we started doing our own noise camp night. We would do it at C-Pop. We did it at um, Detroit Contemporary. We've done it all over. C-Pop was the best. C-Pop was really cool in the like side yard area. That's where there, we right? had noise camp. Yeah. So I played one, time, one, I think, that was at C-Pop. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'd have, to, I'd have they, to go back and look at the flyers. So we would have parties in that patio area. And one time the Melvins were playing at um, Magic Stick. And I was like, let's have a barbecue before the Melvins. So I had all set up, I had the PA out there. I'm like, I'm going to bring the Melvins here. I'm going to play side two of My War. And I did. They heard it. Dale came over. He goes, I heard My War, side <laughs> two. And I came over. <laughs> so that Amazing. worked really good. C-Pop was a really fun spot. And that's mm -hmm. where Obe played 
And that's how I got the job there was because I was setting up that show. And it was, it was like, uh, we started setting it up. We did the press, we talked to the gallery and then they're like, why haven't you been doing this the whole time? And then they're like, this is, they were really supportive. They're like, we want to do stuff like this. And then I ended up working there for a couple of years and doing a ton of cool shows there too. Yeah, that's cool. That was definitely one of the first places I ever played when I came to play Michigan. And Gray, I think that is the infamous show that you saw Obe and then Fetus down the street. Yeah, is yeah. That, Fetus was playing at the Magic Stick that night. Okay. Also, um, so got to got to see both. I think it's the Obe show. I rem- I remember if I'm remembering correctly that I had you were DJing and I asked you what you were playing because it was utterly miserable and it was uh asshole snail dilemma by runzel turn and gurgles oh yeah <laughs> still one of my favorites <laughs> what a what a thing to, to jam yeah, in a show. Yeah, yeah 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 hey. <laughs> dude i love that and then also you know noise camp in the mid 90s into the later 90s you were also I always associate vhs with time stereo you you did a lot of vhs at the time well, was that were you dubbing them yourself? Where did you oh, yeah. send them off? What, yeah, 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 yeah. No, actually, I started. You know, we would get VHS. I mean, VHS was great. Target Video was the the yeah, original. Of course. I had SST the tour on VHS. Actually, I had it on Beta, but I had the video cassette. Wow! Um, wow! So as soon as we were able to make videos, we wanted to start releasing them and msbr was doing it too um and we would buy they didn't have access to those clamshell boxes koji didn't so i would buy them here and send them to japan for those um for those uh noise progression series noise progression yeah Yeah. and so um but yeah we had the time stereos video shelf that was fun most of them are up on youtube Oh, sick. Okay, cool. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to make link sure to that. To, yeah, we'll mm-hmm. make sure. You, you, the Time you Stereo YouTube has, a, has like noise workshop and stuff. Great. Yeah, we'll make sure just to, to link to the page because everyone needs to see these because we always talk about the importance of VHS in noise, especially in the 90s. It was the way for people to see, to put a face to a lot of the bands when that access maybe wasn't it wasn't as ubiquitous or just as easy to get to. And when you, you know, I always talk about seeing smell and quim for the first time, be like, Oh my God, like they're yeah. crazier than I even pictured in my head. But it was you know, somehow like, more confusing even after yeah, you had yeah. seen it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I remember having a hard time with the Costas videotapes because they were pal and I would have to get them transferred. And I'm like, I don't really know what's on here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this, yeah. That'd be wild. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that was cool. The VHS tapes, there's a there's a Omoro tape oh, that's yeah. got a bunch of alchemy bands. That yeah. was huge. And then vanilla. What's that one that was on vanilla that really Is, well, I mean, Vanilla's got noise? A, Kingdom of Noise. Yeah. You dubbed me a copy of that. I have a tape that has your handwriting of a copy that's, you dubbed. <laughs> that was huge. And well, and that made everyone want to do videos because it's so cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, a record's cool, 
I don't know. I love the videos. Oh yeah, we oh, we, yes. we get so excited. Good alchemy video, all those vanillas and endorphin factory, like the CCCC videos. I mean, it, yeah, you know th- that was just so exciting. You know, I've talked about it a million times, especially for myself and Tara mm-hmm. being in Kentucky and and being really disconnected, and then you see. Mayukuhino video and you're just like, oh my God, this is it, this it stuff like is changed out there. my brain. Yeah, this stuff is yeah. out there. And then yeah. and, and huge. then yeah. Huge. And then yeah, the, the Princess Dragon Mom MSBR video. I mean, dude, we cranked that so many times and we'd have people over, we'd throw that on. So that was the thing about videos too. That was a fun thing when you have people over, you just put it, you just when rotate Aaron through Dillaway videos. Comes yeah. over. He brings tapes. Oh, yeah. or you've well, got he, was, tapes. he was a big. We and would that sit was, in that living room. Yeah, with him. And that was like a big. <laughs> yeah. He always loved that he did that, or or would you know you'd go there and you'd watch everything from a Def Leppard video to a MSBR video to to Bronx Warriors. You know, it was just yeah, like, I, and, surfers. And like still yeah. that's still yeah. how we just view watching things. We yeah. we still love that. Were you guys touring? much or was it a lot of one-offs what were in the 90s what was your lifestyle like outside of michigan um it would be based on opportunities i think we didn't do a lot of um working hard on doing a tour it would be more like well there's a option to go here and then you know the new york show maybe with his name is live then we could do a show a few other shows on the east coast while we're there wasn't a huge priority outside of detroit but we we had done noise camp um with grux in san francisco and we did it at knitting factory but not a lot of touring really was that just just wasn't you guys just weren't pursuing it was it also the logistics of bringing everything i mean I don't know really the reason if it yeah i mean it would cost money probably to go on oh, tour at the time and so yeah it just didn't i mean we were happy to be doing a lot of stuff here yeah definitely. and then if there was an opportunity somewhere else we would want to do it but that wasn't our pursuit really gotcha mm-hmm. yeah yeah that makes sense when did you become aware of destroy all monsters and in that orbit you mentioned playing with them in, in 98 so carrie lauren so I, th- I believe the story goes like this, like Thurston Moore heard some tapes because he was friends with Mike Kelly. And then Thurston wanted to put out that three CD Destroy All Monsters set. So then that came out and that kind of got Carrie invigorated in music again. He had done more rock and roll stuff, really great stuff. Um, and uh, since then, but not a lot, but this CD set that came out, so then people were talking about noise. They were talking about avant-garde music and noise in particular. And when Carrie would talk to people about it, they would say, you have to check out the record store in Livonia. They sell a lot of noise. So then Carrie came in the store one day and just introduced himself, said, and we knew about Destroy Our Monsters, but just barely. Um, then we got acquainted, CD came out. We talked about doing a record release show that would have been small, then it turned into a really big show, maybe 98, maybe before that, maybe 96, at the Magic Bag in Ferndale with Niagara. Mike Kelly was there, Jim Shaw, everybody. It was a big show. Princess Dragon Mom opened for that. And so we've been friends ever since. Then Carrie, then they invited the Soil Monsters to play in Holland in 98. 
and they wanted him to bring a Detroit band with him. And Princess Dragon Mom were kind of seen as like, you know, this decade's Destroyal Monsters. We were associated with them. So then we went to Holland and played that show too with Charlemagne Palestine. Wow. played that show too and Scanner. Yeah. I, I had what no a idea. crazy show. I had no idea who Charlemagne Palestine was. And I'm in this room and then I hear that he was playing a movie. Um, it was one of his pieces where he sings and plays uh, synthesizer. And uh, it was, it blew me away. So I've been a huge fan ever since. Um, and then, uh, but that was it for Destroy All Monsters. They've done shows. They think they went to Japan and LA, but that was, uh, but we're friends. <laughs> we haven't done a show with them in a while. Was he running Bookbeat at that time, or did that come later? Uh, always, no. It was he was already there, and he's still there. I don't know when it opened, but it was it was yeah, it's been there a while. Great, great, great book story in uh, in Southfield. Mm-hmm. Well worth if you're traveling through Michigan, <laughs> stop by Bookbeat. <laughs> the good old fashioned bookstore with stacks of awesome books everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> uh. We mentioned the cardboard, which I I very heavily associate with you, but also your art style, which cardboard as canvas and cardboard to make these things and these paintings you would do and and cardboard stencils and templates. When did all that start? All around the same time. I I had worked with kids. And so I I never stopped using that stuff. I went to, you know, I've always been a painter. Um, that stuff became really appropriate when we started doing performances. Um, the thing that was, that I think might've helped us out is, and Koji brought it up. And I think that might be why one of the reasons Koji would, you know, found out about us, liked us was had a different vibe than a lot of noise at the time. And he said, um, he said, it doesn't have uh, antisocial vibe that some noise has cause it's friendly. And um, so it, it set us apart. It was a natural thing for us. And, you know, we, we really can't do it any other way. It's one of the things I've always thought about these things. We're talking about noise camp, princess dragon mom shows, the trading and the sort of community that you really fostered and, and helped build in Michigan. And I was talking about this with the Connellys before we all got on mic is that that's, I think of, Princess Dragon Mom, Time Stereo, Noise Camp. Everyone's coming. Anyone that you know in Detroit is probably coming to Noise Camp. Like that's how I used to remember it is you would just see people that you you might not see them at another noise show, but they're gonna go to Noise Camp because it's a thing where it it's a fun event. event. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't just noise until the end. There was a noise band. We had folk music around the campfire, craft table, um, DJs, um, and then uh then big noise blow it at the end so that's something i i've always associated with is the friendly cartoony artwork and yeah it is it doesn't have any anti-social <laughs> qualities no. imbued in it or or you know if you look at a princess dragon mom msbr vhs you're not it's it's clouds and a bush and the drawing of the amp and, and a drawing of uh, koji's table with petals on it and stuff on the back right so it's it's very fun way to approach noise that 
we really don't see too often. And, and especially these days, I don't see much of that. It seems like that was still a unique thing, even back in the nineties, what you guys were doing and, and the attitude put forth by the noise. It just happened and everybody getting together. That's just the way things went. It, you know, it wasn't anybody's idea and it all made sense to us at the time. And so, so, and it was fun. We, and I, I just, we, we always talk about the times when, when all, all the ideas were on the table. So you could have a princess dragon mom and taint on the same comp, of course, that being Japanese American noise treaty. And, and it, and it didn't, it wasn't strange. And especially when we were discovering this stuff, it, I, in my mind, it was all, you know, death pile and prick decay are, are on pure. So it all made sense to me. Like I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't think it was a, a strange thing to have all these different approaches within the world of noise and, and that, and everyone that way, everyone, it's their own unique stamp on this world as opposed to just, uh, you know, carbon copies, which always happen in any sort of scene. It just explores many facets of existence, not just let's say the antisocial one or the dark, like you, you can, you get a big smattering of events because in because even in its way, some of the, 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 the clouds and the cardboard might be, someone might consider that antisocial if they, if that's not their vibe. So like there mm-hmm. is still almost an element of that. It could, you know what I mean? Yeah, sure. The Japanese American noise treaty, the book that it came with so great that everybody got their own page. Yes. It was their identity rather than having, you know, so the, the cover was the cover and, uh, but everyone got a page, just one page. You have to put it all down in that <laughs> one page. And I love it. It's a great way to introduce yourself and some were simple, some, you know, whatever. It was uh, whatever the band wanted to do. And I like that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And of course, that's something we here obviously consider to be one of the most important documents, most important compilations uh, of noise of the 90s. Do you remember how you guys got on there? I assume Mason contacted you. It was Mason. Okay, so we would we were talking to Mason a lot he came to detroit um and uh so yeah it would have definitely been mason do you recall especially working at a record store when things started getting quote unquote bigger with relapse and with the cds and with these with mersbaum masana and japanese american oyster he's starting to really get out there do you recall you know, just that, that wave and that, that energy when it, things started really, you know, ramping up. Um, well, I have to say one thing about Sub Pop. Sub Pop was happening right around that time and I would bring in Sub Pop records and they all sold. So I made money for the store, which gave me power to order other stuff. And I had a budget. So that's what allowed me to order more noise and stuff. So that ah, really helped. Okay. Sub Pop helped out the Michigan noise scene by helping us make money with that stuff. And there was some crossover, of course. I mean, I liked Mud Honey and stuff. Sure, but sure. But because the owner saw that stuff selling, he gave me power to order more stuff. And then I could wow. from Triple R and Subterranean, SST, you know, Caroline, um, Surefire, all that. But 
when, you know, I mean, it was, I worked there all through the nineties into 2002 and, um, you know, I just, I, I, when I think back, I see it as just building up the whole time I was there until, until, you know, what we have now and still going, of course, a lot of people still involve yourself, you know, all of our pals, um, Relapse, you know, wasn't that big of a thing at the shop. We were aware of it, but the noise end of it is what we liked. But yeah, uh, def- yeah, yeah. And so, and they were being really supportive, you know. The and it was great, you know. They were fans, and it helped everybody. That's you know, that was really accessible to a lot of people. You didn't have to go to the record collector to get Relapse. You go to but, Borders. Yeah, it was great. We used to love um, Tower in Ann Arbor. It was a great spot for Japanese CDs, too. That's where I got all my Garagari Gay CDs at Tower. Nice. Some of those are worth a lot of money now. Where was the Tower location in Ann Arbor? I mean, definitely, uh, we, we were long gone when we mm-hmm. had moved there. So it was, <laughs> all I remember is it was on the other side of campus. So if, it was not near Encore. You'd have to like okay. go across campus. And then there was another place with some a Korean restaurant, some other, like a strip. That's where it was. That's all I remember. <laughs> like by like where like Pinball Pete's is? Like that area? It was area? across from Pinball Pete. It was by Pinball Pete's. Oh. Yeah. Oh, okay, there you go. Okay, okay. Yeah. Was, that was a total like, guess. To me, to me, it was then you'd go through campus and then you'd get to encore and the theaters and stuff like that. Yeah. They were like two mm-hmm. separate areas of Ann Arbor to me at the time. Yeah. And I, I haven't spent time there in a long time, but tower was really important too. Keep mentioning encore. Of course, uh, Aaron Dillaway worked for a very long time at encore records and also stocked tons of great stuff there. And of course, Wade who opened uh, hello records. So a lot of, a lot of good, record stores and people into experimental and underground music working at those record stores in Michigan. It felt like I was going to ask, you know, you gave us a little rundown of kind of how the funding worked for the experimental stuff. Was it selling? Was it on its own, at least sustaining itself to keep all that stuff there? Cause you had, there was so much stuff there and you know, I would buy a banana fish and muckraker there. And you had a huge box of, of pure CDs and, you know, all kinds of cool books. I, I still have a lot of the things I bought there and fond memories of even just flipping through the stacks and learning about things. The rest of the store subsidized that stuff. You know, we wouldn't have been, we weren't doing great. I mean, we had a reputation and people knew they could go there and get that stuff, but it wasn't what was paying the bills. But all the regular music you sell, whatever, used records, CDs were huge, even tapes, all that, you know, just rock and roll stuff keeps a used record store going. And we could do it's like Triple R when you go in there, there's like the noise mm-hmm. section is like this. The rest of it's Rod yeah. Stewart records. <laughs> totally. Yeah. yeah. You have to awesome. ask for the good stuff. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> like to have a noise store. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's like so hospital has a store. I've never been there. Well, I mean, they did. You know, that's that's definitely the one of the the biggest ones that was yeah. you know predominantly noise and, and black metal, and and generally a lot of times any of the other stores are 
you know, open on the weekends or or that sort of thing. Like there's a, a place a, in Cincinnati, right? Torn Light. Yeah, they're moving yeah, to Chicago. Or, I've actually. done mail order from them. Oh, what's that? You said they moved to Chicago. They're, yeah, they're opening a store in Chicago now. Torn oh, there Light. They're, they're moving but from yeah. uh, Cincinnati. But again, even them, they probably have a lot of you know, peri- you know, uh, periphery stuff that would be you yeah. know, you know. So so just a a, a pure you know dedicated store to noise i mean it's probably probably even harder now just a store in general any store doesn't it doesn't matter what it is yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it's extreme on all fronts having a store what was the equipment used for like princess dragon mom in the early days in the 90s i played guitar sometimes um it was amps it was um amps and um, we were using a lot of old reel-to-reel machines and anything, you know, from Salvation Army that looked interesting that we thought would make some noise. And we were, you know, plugging everything into our amps and seeing what happened. Uh, there wasn't any, like, store-bought equipment, guitar, and there's some drums on some Princess Dragon Mom stuff. Um, little guitar, a little bit of drums and just a lot of amplifiers. <laughs> and Kenny would play percussion. He would, he had a instrument called the wheel. That was a really dangerous metal contraption that he would swing around and you can hear it on some of the early recordings and it's in the videos oh. too. Well, you can hear some of that guitar and organic sounds you know it quote unquote instrument sounds even on real folk blues you you get you yeah. get moments of that and just the, the liveness of of prince dragon mom you know it feels like it was in the room live i, I imagine there wasn't a lot of overdubbing was it a lot just straight most up most everything is most everything is live and then it's sometimes we do some post-production but we've never done anything except live for the tapes for the recordings for the initial recordings then they might be processed or something but it starts yeah. out live jamming and how long was his name is alive around before princess dragon mom started uh did that record come out in 89 i think i feel like it, i feel like it's 80s i feel like it is it's it's 80s. So, it's, so, it's, so it's a little bit and, and how did how did you end up meeting meeting warren well, i went to high school with warren oh cool and we knew of each other and I, he was in bands, um, that, you know, played at the, uh, you know, the battle of the bands at our high school and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, um, one time I tried out for the fish cats and I didn't get the job. They needed a singer. I didn't get the job cause I was too punk. They were more <laughs> like a rockabilly band. I was too punk. So, but so Warren and I went to high school. He was doing his name was live, you know, in his bedroom. That started happening, and um, it was a really big deal because the, the Pixies and Throwing Muses were the only other 4AD bands from the states. He got a lot of attention, um, and uh, and then I I knew him in high school. But we weren't really pals until the record store, and then he would come in the record store, and that's when we started working together. Mm-hmm. It was same. It was the record collector brought people together, even though I already knew them. That was really, and then you know, you go there with your friends, and everyone would get to meet each other, and 
start making plans. It was cool. We also used to deliver, do you remember Orbit Magazine? It was a newspaper. It started out, it was Jerry Vile's paper. We would deliver that once a month, go to every record store in town, drop off the paper. That was another <laughs> way that we got to know a lot of people. It was great. <laughs> wow. Were they just shipped to the record store and then you would take them around to other shops? We or? would have to, we would one night a month, we would drive to Royal Oak, pick them all up. And then they'd give us our route and we'd get a free advertisement in the paper for doing it. So we would like, I don't know, noise workshop might've had an ad in the paper. Uh, we would do wow. ridiculous ads. I, the, the first easy action show in Detroit we put on and that was advertised. We did a flyer or, you know, ad in the paper. It was great. It was a lot of weekly or a monthly entertainment paper and humor. It was great, great magazine. And it was, it's part of the story. Easy action for those who, who aren't aware is uh, John Brandon's band. Well, after laughing hyenas, which is, of course is came after a negative approach, right? I feel like I, in Michigan, everybody knows laughing hyenas and easy action, but mm-hmm. <laughs> not sure how much outside of, outside of it. You must've seen laughing hyenas a bunch though, aside from that uh, show that you got scared at. Yeah. 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 And it was, it was always great. You know, they would open for Sonic youth and stuff. They were, you know, touch and go. So the, Touch and Go for a while was based in Dearborn. And so Touch and Go always had a lot going on here. And, you know, Hyenas played tons of shows and always liked them. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. That In that era, you know, that was definitely an entry point for me into, you know, the more you know, at least for me at the time in high school, underground, something like touch and go, obviously to call it underground, like looking back at it now, they were te- selling tens of thousands of copies of a record was actually underground in the, you know, yeah. or, or, you know, in the night or, or some sort of underground in the nineties, but it was definitely stuff like that. And Jesus lizard and Buttle servers were definitely, you know, that was a big path for me is, is like, I like this stuff. This is dark. This is heavy. I bet there's even more fucked up stuff as I, as I keep going on more and more underground. And, and that's, and still to this day, that stuff was, was, you know, just, it still holds up. I mean, you, you still listen to that stuff today. Totally. It's still just like heavy and dark and, and nothing really ever sounded like it after that, you know, after that era. Yep. I remember when I first heard Sonic use system, it sounded like when I first listened to it, it was the middle of the day in the summer and it just come out and it sounded like pure static the first time I listened to it. But then I really got into it. But it, it was like, like at the time, it was really abrasive. I, I was drawn to it. When did Dion become a part of Prince Dragon Mount? Because we've talked about the other third members uh, and then Dion, because I would have to say the first time I saw Princess Dragon Mount, Dion was it was in it. So that would have been in the early 2000s, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so in 98, when we went to Holland, Kenny was to go with us. And um, at the not exactly the last minute, but they bought a ticket for him. We were, it was organized with a museum show. And, um, and then he couldn't go. So we tried to switch to Dion and see if we could get, because we had, Dion was Princess Dragon Mom fan that we made friends with. Um, and so we said, well, we have a ticket to Holland, but we weren't able to change the name on the ticket. So he couldn't go, but he ended up 
as a result of that maybe happening, Kenny moved to Florida. Um, Dion became full-time. Probably it could have, it was at least probably 2000. It might have been earlier than that. We'd have to ask Dion. But then he's been constant throughout, you know, ever since. And how much these days do you guys get together to record? Is it predominantly getting together for live shows or do you guys still do sessions together? What's your, what's your style like these days? Um, mostly getting ready for shows. We're mostly live at this point. Um, although we are working on, so the art gallery that we worked with, Gallery Camille, um, Warren works at Third Man. He does the mastering. So it's, really easy for us to make records um, so we talked to the owner of the gallery he's interested he knows ron from way back he used to live next door to him oh no way when he heard so this guy his name's adnan when he heard prince dragon mom he said it reminds me of the guy that lived down the hall from me in lowell oh <laughs> my god and this would have been in the 80s like and yeah and i go ron he goes yeah ron <laughs> crazy <laughs> that's that is so wild so then he wants so then adnan wants he's into publishing so he wants to have a bookstore part of the gallery he wants to put out records so we just submitted a proposal and princess dragon mom the three of us separately are doing our own recordings to get ready for this project where we're going to put out a record of the sound of the Hudson's building being imploded, which was a big deal in Detroit, like in 97, I think. I remember, so I remember the, the Hudson building. <laughs> yeah. We've got the tapes and we're gonna do a remix, uh, Princess Dragon Mom, Hudson's Demolition coming this year. Oh, very cool. So we've been in the studio. Um, leading up to that, that's our first project in a while. It was mostly getting ready for live gigs. Um, but this would be first time in the studio in a bit. And we're all very excited. That's awesome. That's <laughs> that's a really cool way to to pay tribute to the Hudson building, too. I, I It's funny. I, my old band did a, a VHS and, and had a backing video. And there's footage I found online of the Hudson, like just whoever recorded of the Hudson building being imploded that I yeah. used and processed with some like analog video processing gear, but well, it's, it's stuck it's, in my memory. <laughs> we're still using it as source material. I mean, who wouldn't? <laughs> I remember how dusty downtown was after that yeah. happened. Yeah, nobody expects that. Like, I'm going to watch it from like a few blocks away. It doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, what else is going on with you? I, I've, you've been making a lot of art. I think you've always been making art. That's just a, a constant in your life. Uh, mm -hmm. You got any shows or any exhibits, anything coming up? Um, that record that we're working on is our big project right now. Um, the art show, we won't have another... So Princess Dragon Mom, the three of us have been doing art shows for probably 10 years now. UFO Factory, um, Gallery Camille was like the most real gallery. So a lot of visual stuff. Um, we always participate in the, there's a art book fair that happens at Trina Soaps every year. Um, we usually do publish a book or two for that to get ready. So we've been doing some all small publishing um and uh art shows mostly 
where can we find your stuff online? Well, Instagram is a good thing and, and be my Facebook friend. Um, the time stereo website deteriorated over time and it no longer exists. So that's a bummer. Um, so that's gone, but, um, stay tuned to Dabnos on Instagram and UFO factory is our landing pad around yeah, town now. Yeah. Yeah. And UFO factory is great. It was, it, had, it was probably factory. when we moved, it had probably been open for a year or two, but Tara and I played there a couple times and it was, I always, to me, it's the ideal size for a venue, you know, no matter how many people yeah. are in there, it's, it mm. feels pretty good. If it's packed, it's packed. If it's not the most well-attended show, it still feels good. You know, it just has that good yeah. setup. And and obviously just, just you know, having having friends, you know, running it. We 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 loved uh playing there and 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 loved it, you know, just right off the Michigan Avenue. Yeah, and people would understand making a good show. Oh, hell yeah. The deck yeah. is open upstairs now. So yeah, it's that's our it's a great spot. Don't think I've been since it relocated because last time I played there, I think it was sort of near Green Doors, like Eastern Market ish. Yeah. yeah. Yep. On Winder. Or no. Yeah. Was it on Winder too? I was on Winder, but I think it might have been the opposite I side think, of Winder, yeah, it was right? Across across Russell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. Um been out, been out of Michigan a, for 14 years. Things change. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> But yeah, no, it's definitely like, yeah, I mean, you know, just always what you guys are doing was just so, it was, it's so great. And, and, and the vision is just maintained. That's what's so cool. It's, it's what, what you, and, and it's evolved, not, not just, not, not just maintain, just maintaining who, who, who wants that Evo evolution is what you want. Mm. And, and, you know, from working at the store to the first tapes on gross to time stereo, you know, moving on to now art shows, UFO factory, you know, it's. The evolution's been great, and 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 you guys have just really stuck together in such a cool way. You know, I think of you and Warren together, and I think of you and, and Dion, and and it's just a, a a great a great trio of people who bring in their all their own mm -hmm. ideas. Again, talking about this unique stamp, all three of you guys have a unique stamp. You right, you know. So, right. so when it all comes yeah. together, stir it around, and it becomes the stew that is. Princess Dragon that is time stereo. That is, it's, it's, it, it was always so great. And it's, it's so great that it's just, there's no end in sight. Look, over 30 years later, there's no end in sight. And not having to rely on it for income <laughs> makes it, uh, you know, easy to keep going. You know, we've, there's never been like a proper tour, just a week or two. Um, and so, you know, we don't have to spend that much time together. Um, so it's worked <laughs> out. <laughs> do you remember stuff that you were stocking at record collector that was say best selling or that that you kept getting stuff in you know multiple copies of in stock or it was really popular um, well uh, journey into pain we sold a lot of those um pure cds too they were right um, next to the listening station i remember the the box of pures <laughs> okay. there was a boom box there and so i would i would throw them in there and check them out yeah <laughs> um then tons of Carolina, not noise, but you know, weirdo. Carolina, oh, definitely, Carolina yeah. definitely yeah. in the world, definitely yeah. in the world. And so, um, but those were always bestsellers and uh, tons of bootleg tapes, um, <laughs> rock and roll stuff, and also weirdo stuff like um, that film threat VHS tape. 
Oh yeah. Are you guys oh, yeah. familiar with that? Yeah, yeah absolutely. So that, that was a big one. Mm-hmm. But um uh other big sellers. And then I would push time stereo. <laughs> of course, of course. Of course. <laughs> uh, you gotta. Hey, we're gonna get we what about a time stereo band camp? Uh, you know, it's we we get some people asking about it. Um, and then there's people that say, my CD doesn't play anymore. <laughs> so oh, definitely mm-hmm. watch sure. old recordings. But for as of now, there's nothing of that is available um, legitimately. Yeah, no, um, it, it, is, it is too bad because leading up to this, I was usually, you know, we and we always link it, you know, when we do episodes of people yeah. and. And it's a, it, you know, look, I was, I was the most hesitant about any of that shit forever. And eventually it's just like, you know what? The reality is people, people actually like to support and buy things off it and just, and, and support. And it's just a way to, to kind of archive everything. So I, I would encourage you guys to, to think I, about it. I should have done that during the COVID lockdown. That would have been a good project. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, we'll we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's 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 definitely a process, but you know, it it is a cool way to 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 have it things really there. Should. Yeah, yeah, it, it no, it is it is. And well, and also for s- releasing things on CDRs and cassettes and 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 media that's becoming unreliable. I, I think that was our encouragement yeah. was <laughs> most, losing yeah. so many things. We're like, we, we should digitize this quickly. Most of our MSBR CDRs do not play in our current CD player, right. including the the uh, the Princess Dragon Mom split. So okay. those, for some reason, those CDRs like don't have at, at least at ours yeah. and we found out digital tvs you can't play vhs on a new digital right, tv so we, because the really speed is, you, well, it, well well it, you, it's a it's it's possible so for we a couple months ago about actually a month or month or two yeah. ago we did an episode on the huck finn vhs and we tried to watch it at our place and our tv we have a vcr and it was just clipping out it was like actually yeah. like the it the information was like clipping it out, uh, so we had to have wow. Gray work some magic and watch it over yeah. there. So it is, uh, but but like good alchemy plays, Kingdom Noise plays. So you just never know. Some things play, some things don't. So but, we are encouraged um, to, yeah, uh, of course, archive it. Of course, with the Huck Finn, I have to assume you guys were either at or played the show with Skin Crime, Bolio, Angsthas, and Haters. Yeah, um, did you? No, you had we, to have at least didn't. been there. We were there. We put yeah. on that mm. show. Oh, right. There was no room. There was no <laughs> right. room for one of our bands to play, but it was huge. Um, they all stayed at our house. We all oh, went so out to it, breakfast. Okay, so that's okay. So that's your house. So they're waiting. When we so yeah. we, we 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 probably hadn't watched. None of us probably seen the VHS in I don't know how many years. Yeah. And at the end, there's a point where Pat from skin crime is sitting outside a house and, and it's not in, it's not clear as to what house it is, but we even said like, that looks like a house in Michigan. Like it has it was, to be. And it was Morris house. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> there you go. So like that got, that got cleared up. And if any, we actually did not note this in the episode, we were, we were questioning who the other person on stage with crank sturgeon was with wearing no pants. And it had been confirmed to us that that was, one Mr. Ron Lassard. I don't think yeah. we've uh, established that, but yeah, that we he did was... not reveal that. Oh, you do. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So he was he was on stage with Mr. Sturgeon. 
I need to watch. See, we've got all that, our own version of all those performances. You know, I taped all that stuff too, but that's not what ended up on that video. Oh, Whoa. man. You got to go through this. We can do a two camera. We can do a two camera with some editing. <laughs> I think it'd be great. The, the skin yes. crime set is amazing. And it was like they're, they had the metal like hanging on the stage, mm -hmm. and it just uh -huh. was like, so incredible and of course crank and and the haters you know that's you know we we love things where, where was that again was that at was that at gold Alvin's? dollar gold dollar. Like gold, gold dollar dollar yeah that's right yeah. that's right that's right yeah 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 that's right that was actually another thing i wanted to touch on because basement shows became such a thing especially like when i got involved in what was going on in michigan in the in the very late 90s but you had access to like venues, rock venues. There was shows would be at the Gold Dollar, Alvin's, the old Miami, some of these places. How, how did those relationships work out? Did they? Did you get a lot of pushback on booking that kind of stuff there? No, as long not as people at all. Were there, they didn't care. If people, yeah, if people showed up, so you could do anything you wanted to at Suits, and so that's where uh, there was a, a lot of bands were born. You know, like you could make up a band on Friday afternoon and play at Zoots on Friday night. And that was fun. <laughs> but then because we knew, the, you know, the store and we knew rock and roll people, like we, like Mike Hard from Thrall and the God Bullies. And when John Brandon moved back to town and then Kenny was a rock and roller. So that gave us access to the rock clubs. And we were friends. And, you know, if they, if we asked them to do a show there, there was a good chance we could do it. You know, they wanted to make money. And if people came, they didn't care what it sounded like. And so Alvin's used to be a great, and the Miami. You built a thing where a lot of people would come out that, you know, rock guys are coming out to the noise show, even though they don't, they're not maybe interested in the noise, the social and, and friend aspect of it would also, I imagine, bring a lot of people out to these yeah. things that you were promoting. Yeah. Yeah. And we knew a lot of people and yeah, they weren't necessarily in the noise, but they still would go to Alvin's. So that worked out good. What was the craziest show you ever booked? Um, that I, I don't know. That, nothing really comes to mind. Crash worship. I didn't book that show. Prince <laughs> Dragon played with crash oh, wow. worship. That got, yeah. that got pretty wild. And noise camp is probably, you know, the most chaotic and, you know, dangerous scary thing that we do you know when we did it at detroit contemporary some there was like a brick wall that was the place on rosa parks yeah there's a brick wall around it and suddenly we start getting bombarded with bottles from neighborhood people that were didn't wow. like what they were Whoa. hearing so that was scary but um nothing that that crazy happened the costas show i didn't book, oh, yeah. but we played at that oh, yeah. show that was at Detroit, Detroit Art, Art Space. Space. Yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. 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 Detroit Art Space was a big, a big deal. And when it closed, that's why I, that's why I had started doing green door shows in my loft. Okay. Uh, ben lives out here now. I see him yeah. every now and again. So it's nice to catch up with, with another Michigan person. That was good. Uh, a good spot. Yeah. That was quite a show. 
Oh yeah, the Costa show. Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Good. I, 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 I enjoyed it the most. Like I still smile when I think about the people who didn't know what they were in for and standing right, right up at the front of the stage. Uh, it just brings a <laughs> smile to my face. They stayed that night. <laughs> really? <Yeah. All> right. <laughs> I saw people cry at that show. And it was because it was because of the passion. It wasn't because it was crazy and the ch- there was raw chicken and mm-hmm. I think there was some pissing. Yeah. A lot of it, it wasn't because they were offended. It was because they were so passionate. <laughs> yeah. It was one, great. One, one of my favorite show memories for sure. Um, yep. Also important question. What's the name of your dog that we've heard? A few I times saw him in the, we saw him in the background for a minute. Uh, very important question. Okay. That's Rex. Rex <laughs> oh. is getting old. Oh, Rex is a sweetie. Oh yeah, he's thirteen. Oh, he's, Rex. he's slowing down, and he's but you know so but yeah, he's he's a good boy. Uh, there's a there's a painting of Rex right above Rex's bed too. It oh, looks yeah. like. <laughs> oh that. yeah, that's yeah, amazing. That's where Rex goes. So cozy. Oh, I love it. <laughs> yeah, that's his bedroom. <laughs> that's one of Warren's paintings too. Hey, Rex. Rex, Hi, Rex is looking at us right now. I love it. <laughs> He's, he, Rex has been on it. So, Well, Devin, I, I just want to say thank you for the record collector and for booking those shows and bringing bands over and also always being so welcoming and uh, sharing with your knowledge and recommendations because I, I, this podcast wouldn't exist if it weren't for your influence, uh, you know, 20 plus years ago. So thank you. Well, thank you. Um, it's great to hear that. It's, you know, it was important times for me and for all of us, too. So it's good stuff, and it, it's a great honor to be here. Rex, hey! <laughs> we woke um, Rex up. Rex has yeah. an opinion <laughs> right now. <laughs> That's so sick. Yeah, man, really, really thank you so much. And it's just been, yeah, like we said, it, always looking at, what you guys did is just total inspiration and, and, you know, like Grace said, what, what, what you and so many people did in the nineties, you know, even, even at the time, if you knew what, what was, what was going to come of it, you know, for us, it's still something that we look back on with get such inspiration and it's something we'll never forget. We think about, every single day and and the 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 effects are still being felt and will be forever so thank you so much and thanks so much for taking the time well that's awesome to hear you know we all have those people to thank that got us here and same here i love my collection keeping track of everything and those were really fun times and that's why we all did it it was super fun still is Hell yeah, yes, it, is. it is. Well, we'll be definitely looking forward to the Princess Dragon Mom LP. Yes. Coming soon. And like I said, we'll, we'll we'll put up any links so people can make sure to stay in touch and see what's up. Rex will definitely be in touch. Yeah, Rex will we'll be in touch with Rex. And, and Noise Camp this summer. Absolutely. Noise Camp, so, 30th annual. Oh. Incredible. <laughs> wow. Summer of 24 incredible so we will make sure everyone can follow you to stay up to date on that davin you rule thank you so much for doing this thank you guys this is great you have been listening to noise extra noise extra is brought to you by chondritic sound a home to noise artists for over 20 years by verdant weapons maker of quality contact microphones and noise devices and by our patreon supporters 
You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash noise extra, and your support really helps. You can find us on Instagram at noise extra, on the web at noiseextra.com, one E in those, and on Twitter at noise extra, with three A's at the end. Thank you for listening to us and to noise.